I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This week, I want to talk about HBO's Watchmen. Okay, so before I get into Watchmen, I just want to <laughs> I just want to delve into Black Twitter for a sec. Also, um, just follow up on a few things that are going on right now that. Maybe we'll pop up later. Um, so first off, I know that last week um, I talked about um, Dr. Sleep. And now it seems that I'm not going to be able to watch it on opening night. Only because I have a lot of stuff to do. Um, I won't even be able to watch it this weekend, I don't think. Um, so many of you know I'm in a, a sorority. Uh, Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated. Thank you very much. Um, and anyway, this is our Founders Weekend. The... Um, Actual uh, anniversary of our founding is on Tuesday, but obviously everybody's doing, you know, a ton of activities over the weekend. So I'm not going to be able to do um, the movies, I don't think, um, any this weekend. So I might have to, I might end up watching the movie um, next weekend. But anyway, as soon as when I hit publish um, on the episode, I started to think of, all the things that I might have gotten wrong, um, like the actor that plays Billy. Um, I don't know why I thought he was South Asian. That guy's a Kiwi. Um, it, it, but I guess my point is still well made in that, you know, it's good that you're that the shows bring them the they were they cast more people of color. I just and, and the other thing that I said, which didn't have to be true, but the reason why I said Billy, you know. Dan, Dan Torrance, um, Jack Torrance, and Wendy were white is is because we have the movie reference of them being white, um, because that's who they cast. Um, but that didn't have to be. It's a movie. I think the only there's very little reference to skin tone, even in Doctor Sleep, except for when you talk about Rose the Hat. Yeah, it's like very little reference to skin tone. Rose the Hat and the woman that Dan has a fling with. But I don't even know if if, if skin color is spoken about. Anyway, I guess my point is sometimes we lose our imagination. Some Sometimes, and I don't know why I'm saying we, I am not a director, I am not a casting director, um, but it, it feels as if sometimes we look at the source material for things and then we immediately lose our imagination. And the reality of it is that that old, that, that weary comment that, oh, we're becoming more PC and now everything has to be culturally diverse Everything should have always been that way. The United States has, the United States, this whole globe has always had people who looked from different cultures in all civilizations. We know that. We have historical documents to prove it, especially in Europe. And yet here we are keeping, when we have an opportunity to tell stories, especially fictional stories, we have such a lack of imagination that it's really silly. And the fact that folks feel a way about folks wanting representation only kind of shows how much representation you've always had your life and that that you can't see that someone else might want to see themselves on screen is just foolish on your part. You really ought to not talk when that subject comes up until you can get a better understanding. Anyway, but yeah, so I hope 
Um, when you see it this weekend, I hope that it is good. I really do have high expectations for it, even though this is the other thing that I forgot to mention. This book is when this book a little bit. Um, so it's not kind to children and it's also misogynistic in ways. But again, I think that's, I think that's through a lens of today's time and not when it was written. Um, by Stephen King. And, and again, I, I'm quite sure he didn't write it in a month. So he'd probably been working on it for a while before he'd been, um, before it was released, um, you know, edited and then released. So anyway, there's a lot to, there's a lot of things that you can nitpick in this story, but that doesn't change the fact that the overall story is good. It is a good story. Um, keeps you engaged, at least kept me engaged. And I can't wait to see what it'll end up looking like on film. So anyway, I hope y'all enjoy it. And I hope to join your ranks soon enough. Anyway, all right, let me flip to black Twitter right quick. Okay, so a couple things. <laughs> Number one, um, so it recently came out that um, T.I., <laughs> that T.I., I don't know if he was in an interview of uh, the rapper T.I. Y'all know who T.I. is. Um, he, it, it either came out in an interview. I don't, it, it couldn't have been on his podcast. It had to have been some, some article in some magazine or in some interview in a radio station, what have you. Anyway, long story short, he proudly proclaimed that, um, yeah, he, he takes his uh, 18 year old daughter, um, to the gynecologist for regular checkups. And in those checkups, he confirms that she's still a virgin because her hymen is intact, which is really dumb because you know that a person can be, can be sexually active without their, without disrupting, without damaging their hymen. You know that, right? Like everybody, like if you didn't, now you do, you know, you can have sex, um, as a, as a teen, and still have an intact hymen. Also, what? What in the world? What does her virtue have to do with you? It, it virtue? I'm sorry. I, I'm mad that I even said that. What does her being a virgin have to do with you? It has nothing to do. What? It doesn't make her a bad person. It doesn't make her anything except not a virgin. And what is that? What is that to you? That's gross. It was it was gross. He proudly proclaimed it. That was gross. Um, so ugh, gross. That was and, and and thankfully the I've heard more reactions that are just like, ew, that's gross, T.I., you're being weird and you messing your daughter up. Now she's she's gonna have to unpack all the I'm I'm quite sure this is not the only messed up thing you've done in her life, and she's gonna have you set her up for a lifetime of counseling. Um, among other things, I've seen that more than I've seen. Well, at least he's involved, girl. <laughs> at least he's a girl. The, the bar, the standard in the basement in terms of behavior for an involved parent. That ain't it. My, when I was a teen, my dad took me to the gynecologist only because my mother was not able to. And... <laughs> He asked me, he asked me if I needed, if he needed me, if, if I needed him to come in because in other times when I've, you know, if, 
if I was scared or if I was nervous or whatever, he would come in and help me. And I'm like, no, daddy, you can't come in on this. And he's like, oh, 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 you're right. You're right. I did. There's a line there. She's a person. She's her own person and her vagina has nothing to do with you. And that's gross. And this coming from a man that clearly has issues. Well, number one, let us be clear. T.I. has real issues with, um, I think, his own accountability and and trying to overcome the fact that he knows that he doesn't always make the best decisions, especially when it relates to intimate relationships. And so seems as if he overcompensates in a lot of different areas. And this is definitely one of them. Only problem is, um, hope he realizes that he's probably pushing his daughter away or creating this weird dynamic between them. He might ought to rethink. Um, and I doubt very seriously, but I hope that the backlash to this statement makes him think a little bit. Um, certainly didn't make him think enough to not say the comment, because that would have been one that I kept to myself, even if I believed that it was the right thing to do as a parent. I'd have went to the grave with that one. That ain't nobody's business. I'd have went to the grave, but I'm quite sure my child would have said something. Anyway, <laughs> um, so that's going on. But like I said, thank God that most folks are responding in a way that I think is appropriate. Although, you know how Twitter is, it can kind of go left real quick, like way left real quick. And so some folks are like, we've got to get those children out of there. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't, well, because if that's the case, then I'm quite sure you need, CPS needs to come and snatch a lot of celebrities' children um, and probably some of y'all. So anyway, um, if we're, if we're going to use that standard, because what we know is that parents are human beings and often project onto their children. And in doing that, you know, and had setting these high expectations for achievement for their kids and better behavior and better, just better for their kids that sometimes they make missteps. And everybody is, is everybody, everybody has done it. Everybody will do it. And it's just a, <laughs> trying to minimize the amount of damage that you're causing to your child as you're, as they're growing is the goal as a parent, I believe. Anyway, so that's one thing that's happening on Twitter. And then the other thing um, that I wanted to talk about is that um, Whitney Houston. So depending on where you're listening from, and you may have a different relationship to Whitney Houston than the black community does here in the United States. Maybe not. I, I, my only reference, it's not like in my travels that I've asked, you know, people in the diaspora, uh, what, what y'all think about Whitney? What, what does she mean to you? I've never asked that question. Um, so I can only speak to how black folk in the United States talk about um, Whitney Houston. And we revere her. We loved her. Um, we mourn her uh, tragic end and that of her daughter on the anniversary. And we play songs in her honor and we reminisce um, and we use memes about uh, memes of hers to, <laughs> you know, to... Um, kind of talk about as a way to express like some of her more profane means when she memes when she's like had a look or she said a thing um something iconic and mean at the same time and we use those memes to illustrate a point that we're making to somebody else and that those are the ways that we choose to honor her right and so black folk really love Whitney Houston and I can remember when she was alive and when I was a little girl when I was coming into myself it was in the middle 90s. And, and again, I was not quite a teen, but I was 
I was a preteen. I was a preteen in the mid nineties and, um, very aware, like all preteens are, even though TV and movies and old folks will have you think that kids, some kids, they're not as perceptive as they actually are. And you know that they are. But anyway, I can remember feeling sorry for Whitney and feeling like, oh, shoot, I want her to be well. Can somebody please help her? Because clearly she needs a friend, right? Clearly she needs some support. And um, here lately, within the last, what, 24 hours, 48 hours, um, it's come out that one of her friends, Robin, who was in pictures with her and they had always surfaced. And I'd seen her in pictures when I was a little girl. And even into teenage years before I started to turn to, you know, late 90s hip hop and all that stuff and kind of turned away from Whitney um, to more contemporary folks at the time. I'd seen her before and I was like, oh, cool. That's her friend. All right. And then I kept it moving. But I think it had to have been in the 2000s when she, she either come out of a situation with drugs and that she was feeling better, feeling good about herself. And then she was back in the spotlight. And she was doing things, you know. Um, and so she came back up and people were examining her life. And it was then that I'd heard for the first time that Robin, her friend that I'd seen in all those pictures, was a little bit more than a friend. But at the time it was a rumor. And it, and, and Whitney had never confirmed anything and and we certainly hadn't heard anything from Robin or at least I hadn't heard and then you know Whitney would spiral again and then it was less about who her relationships were with except when it came to Bobby um and her daughter um but so her the the conversations about her life and her relationships revolved around her daughter and Bobby and her um relationship to drug use um and so anyway, so that became, and then her legacy too, and everybody wanting her to be well so that she could put out good music again, which is kind of crappy, but that's our relationship to her. We didn't know her as a person. We knew her as an artist and we wanted our artist to be well again so that we can continue to celebrate her for the artist that she was. Anyway, and so like I never heard any more about rumors of her being gay except for that one time. Um, and then I just didn't know what to make of it because I was just like, y'all always trying to put something on people. You know what I mean? Like, just, can you just, and, and at the time when I was saying put something on people, it was just like, you always in people's business. You know what I mean? You're always, y'all, yeah, you're, you're, you're so nosy. And this is coming from somebody who loves to know everything about everybody, but nevertheless, like even I, I wasn't, I wasn't as, progressive as I am now in terms of the way I think about relationships. They, no matter if they're with, no matter the love relationship, I, I just didn't look at relationships the way I did then. And you can kind of read the blanks. Um, or I don't, I didn't look at relationships the way I look at them now. Um, and so I guess I was thinking like, if she's gay, let her keep that to her. Like, let her keep that private. Cause I know y'all don't like that. Rather than saying, so what? You know what I mean? I didn't have that so what mentality back then. I do now um, because relationships are relationships, period, end of discussion. But um, in that, I, I, I guess it, I heard about it that one time and then I felt the way I felt and then I moved on. And then, the, like I said, the conversation became more about, you know, restoring her legacy and 
and adding to her catalog and, and reclaiming her glory. And then she died. Right. And so we're, we're left initially in the, in the years, early years after her passing, we um, had all these great memes. Like I said, we had all these great memes and all these video clips. And and in the, the last couple of years, you know, we've begun to use those clips in a different way than when we saw it before. Like when she first passed, it was all about her um, passing and how sorrowful we were that Whitney, this great legend, had passed in the way that she did. And, you know, and then Con- was it Kanye and put Pusha T had used, if you remember, Whitney was with Ray J. I don't know if they were in a romantic relationship, but they were they were together. Um, and they were in this, I think they were sharing a hotel room. And that was the hotel room where she was found. Um, and you, everybody knows the story that Pusha T used a picture of her hotel room um, as the cover of his album because Kanye had post, had purchased the photo somehow or another. His team had purchased the photo because, um, you know, Kanye's the head of the good music label and Pusha T is on the good music label. Um, anyway, so, and everybody was in an uproar about that because it's indecent. And, excuse me, and I know everybody wants to push the envelope so that they can attract, you know, more eyes and attention on their product. But at the end of the day, that was indecent and he knew that. Um, anyway, and so, you know, it's only within the last couple of years that we've begun to really revere her in the way that, you know, black folk do. Yes, we talk about her shortcomings, but we more so talk about the legacy of love and music that she left behind. And so it is in this period that we're in, right? That's the period we're in right now. We're just celebrating Whitney's love and legacy and those funny memes um, that at the time we didn't find very funny because she was in addiction, in and out of addiction. But now we can laugh on because there is a lot of truth in that, even even in her addiction, even in her struggle with addiction. Some of the ways that she was responding to some of these weird questions from the reporters is how we ought to set up our life. <laughs> some of the, even though it was it, it was defensive for a different reason, some of her answers, her, some of her guardedness was warranted. Some of the stuff you don't, y'all don't need to know. Um, and so anyway, it's in this kind of period where we are right now, where we're celebrating Whitney and we're celebrating her reverence and we're celebrating who she was and what she contributed to, how she contributed to our lives in that specific way. So we're in that period and here comes Robin, her best friend, with a tell-all book about how... You know how y'all thought for years that Whitney was a lesbian? Well, I don't know that she was a lesbian, but we were definitely in a romantic relationship for the early parts of our early part of our relationship together. Um, and that the snippet that I read was that it implied that they were physical for the first couple of years or for the first period of their relationship, but that Wendy... Uh, Whitney, when she received a contract, her first contract, a big contract, um, she ended the physical part of the relationship um, and then kept Robin around as a friend. And so that was enough of a teaser for me to want to learn more from Robin and read her autobiography. Um, 
about Whitney. And I think it's a song for you, My Life with Whitney Houston. That's the name of it. I think it's out or it's going to be out soon anyway. But it's basically telling her relation, telling the story of her relationship with Whitney Houston and how between the recording contract or the record company and her mother, Sissy, um, Robin feels like Whitney felt pressure to end their relationship um, beyond it. And it wasn't, it was a romantic relationship um, because as she says, like, you know, a lesbian relationship can ruin a career and, and, you know, it wasn't as accepted as it is today. And so I'm, I'm eager. I, I'm, I am eager to learn more about this, but yeah, she, she breaks her silence and says, yep, we were in a romantic relationship. We were, yeah, we were involved and the music industry and, uh, uh, Whitney's mother stopped, drove her to end our romantic relationship. And yeah, I just want, I just want to hear more because that's sad because what we know is that the music industry and all of the pressures to be a success and all the long hours and all of the people in your face wanting things and ratchets up a stress level that a regular person can't even imagine, right? And we know that that stress alone can cause a person to want to self-medicate, right? But then add on top of that, and, and wanting to stay on top, right? Stay successful. Those pressures alone can can drive a person to to develop bad coping mechanisms, right? But then to add on top of that, not being able to be in a relationship with the person that you love, that is more than enough to move a person to spiral. And then to know that, so you leave what is a stable relationship in a person that, as we know that they met as, um, Robin and Whitney met as swim lifeguards, lifeguards at a summer camp in New Jersey. Um, and they had been friends ever since, they had been tight ever since. And so you're talking about uh, childhood, essentially childhood, because what we, you know, you remember Whitney, Whitney started when she was real young in the music industry, right? Um, Dionne Warwick, auntie, sissy, uh, mom, everybody singing, recording artists. Um, So, you know, when she got her, when she, you know, got her voice, got the power, the full power of her voice, of course, her family was going to put her in front of a mic and, you know, she was going to be a star. Um, But anyway, like, yeah, but so, but she was young when she got her voice, when she, when they put her in front of a mic and she was signing, you know, when she was beginning to make a career. Um, And so, yeah. And so she had known Robin since they were children, since they were at least teenagers. Right. And so, you know, so leave. So having restraints put on that long-term relationship, that was clearly a romantic relationship. And then running into the arms of someone who clearly also had high pressures and a lot of needed a lot of help and support. And I'm talking about Bobby and running to that relationship where you've got two people who definitely need a lot of help. And in, in that moment are not helpful to each other is 
enough is like a recipe for bad choices, for driving a person to make bad choices and continue to do so and then to develop habits that are hard to break and sometimes aren't broken. And so I know I've seen on Black Twitter a lot of folks making the connection that, you know, this could have been the reason why this was the catalyst as to why Whitney became um, addicted and struggled with addiction um, through her life. I don't know that that's the case. I think it's a very strong and compounding reason why she was more susceptible to developing bad techniques to care for her for herself. That's the best way I can put it. There's no, there's never one reason why a person self-medicates. There's a series of reasons. This was a big one, but not the reason. Um, and I cannot wait to read her book, uh, Robin's book, because I do want to learn more. Because what we also know is that the legacy of Whitney's legacy in her personal life is highly protected by her mother and grandmother, or her mother. And um, and even to a certain extent, her aunt, her family is very protective of Whitney's legacy, as they should, as they should be. But I also, in protecting her legacy, what are you leaving out? And I do want to learn more about Whitney Houston. I, I want to learn more about Whitney Houston. I want to learn about more. Um, I want to learn more about her as a person. And I think I hope that Robin's book will be able to help me do that, especially as a person who was in a stable, loving relationship, but who had to end it for her music career and probably the pressure of her family. And and when I'm saying end it for her music career, I'm saying that she didn't have to, but she felt that she needed to, to achieve her dream, which is a whole nother conversation. I wonder how, I wonder how Robin is going to play it. I wonder how Robin is going to play it. Yeah, I want to hear more because again, yeah. Anyway, I don't want to talk too much about that because I just don't, I need more material. I just want to read, I want to read more about Robin's perspective. And even in doing that, you're literally just reading Robin's perspective. Whitney's not here to talk about it and her mother and her mother and people close to her probably don't have the, a good perspective on it because again, they're probably, and no shade, but they're probably homophobic. I don't know. I don't know them. I don't, but I know that the eighties was not a kind time frame for people uh, for the LGBTQ LGBTQIA community right the the queer sorry you know what I'm gonna start saying queer community because I, I I'm leaving out letters and I know I'm leaving out letters and I'm not meaning to the queer community um it wasn't a pleasant time for the queer community even though it, it feels like it's a much better time we've still got a lot of issues as we know our trans family so there's a lot of they need a lot of protection but there was way less protection for the t- entire queer community um, in the 80s. And so I want her to speak to that. Uh, Robin is living her life. Um, I don't know if she's married. I can't remember if she's married, but she definitely has a partner um, and kids and living her life as a queer woman. And so and I pre- I'm glad that she's doing that. But I, I just I want I hope she's able to speak as intelligently as possible and shed some light on the Whitney that she knew for 20, what, 20 something years. Um, and even and I want to hear about the post relationship because 
She said she ended the physical part of their relationship early on, but that she stayed at her side for 20 years. So I want to know what happened to finally push them apart, at least physically anyway. Like I'm saying Robin being in her life, period. What happened? That's what I'm hoping that Robin will speak to. So anyway, that's a that's a little dip into black Twitter. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll I'm going to get that book and then I'll read more than I'm definitely going to talk about it anyway. Um, but today's episode is about Watchmen and full disclosure. I was not into the comics. I was only reading about the comics. I've never really been a huge comic book fan. I only read the X-Men comic books and I know those are different creators and all of that stuff, but I have looked into Watchmen. Um, and I'm not going to talk so much about the comic book series as I'm going to talk about the show and Regina, De- uh, Regina King, because she's awesome. Um, but anyway, yeah, so stay tuned in the next segment. It's all about Watchmen. All right, so after that long intro, I'm going to finally start talking about The Watchmen. Um, So, uh, excuse me again, just to recap, um, I am talking about the HBO series, the new HBO series, The Watchmen, starring Regina King um, as, I can't even remember the name of her character, but um, I'll get to that in a second, but Regina King... um, Yaha Abdul-Mat- I'm pretty sure I'm saying his name wrong, but Yaha Abdul-Mateen, um, who is her husband, um, Don Johnson, who there's a turn with his character very early on in the series, actually in episode one. Um, Louis Gossip Jr., who is awesome. I'm glad to see him acting, still acting in this very specific way. Um, Jeremy, Jeremy Irons is in it. Those are the only names that I recognize. The other sh- folks in it, I, I really don't recognize. But anyway, so I'm talking about the HBO, uh, the HBO series. Um, and so, again, the Watchmen, the HBO series is based on Alan Moore's graphic novel or cartoon, not cartoon, comic book series. Um, but loosely so a lot of the story the plot of the story has changed um and uh the executive producer of the series uh the hbo series um damon damon lindelof um when talking about the the series itself he explains uh that the tv series is something like like a remix of the DC limited series, uh, Watchmen by Alan Moore. Um, and, and so let me explain. So if you don't know about, uh, Alan Moore's series, it is, it picks up maybe 30 or 40 years after, um, World War II and, and, um, you know, Nazi occupation and stuff like that. They, Essentially, what has happened is that um, superheroes, according to this comic book storyline, superheroes have emerged uh, in the 40s and 50s and fought um, bad guys in wars specifically. And after having turned the course of those wars, um, they become agents of the government. 
and they in, are involved in the uh, Vietnam conflict and they end that um, in the 60s and into the 70s, I think. It, it's where it, it's how it ends in, in real life. But anyway, so they, they are a part of ending that conflict. And, um, and so we also see in the series that, that comic book or that superheroes age and again the the kind of slickness of them being shiny and new and for truth and justice and all of that is kind of worn off a little bit because number one they become agents of the government number two they get older and they're not able to do what they were used to used to be able to do but they're still superheroes and so they're trying to find we're learning they're finding their footing in this new reality um but it doesn't necessarily focus on them it's just they're a part of the story and when the comic book story picks up it's um it's the world is on the brink of world war three because a um superhero government who is also a government agent has been murdered um and so that's pretty much like the the start jumping off point for the Watchmen series. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different twists and turns that I won't get into that are involved in it, but it is, it is, it's like a hero story, but it's like an anti-hero story. It's like turning the, the trope of being a hero on its head a little bit. And so Lindelof in his writers who I've listened to an interview with him, um, recently, and he was talking about how his writer's room is the most, one of the most diverse. Well, I don't know that he used these terms, but it was very diverse. Um, he had lots of people of color, including black folks, sitting around the table, giving different perspectives, police officers who are also people of color, specifically black folk, giving different perspectives as a black person who was also a police officer at one point, um, and a woman, uh, woman police officer at that. Um, so just giving those very specific, uh, uh, lived experiences that you wouldn't necessarily get with a writer's room that was less diverse or only had mostly white writers in it. Um, and, you know, in a world where folks are trying to say that, oh, y'all are doing too much. Like, I'm still hearing that they're pushback against people wanting representation, which I think is just hugely funny because, I, again, growing up, I had to imagine my life or um, I had to use my imagination to put myself in the place of some white family or some white teenager because that's what was on TV. There were black TV shows um, and some films, but by and large, the TV and, and movies were dominated by um, non-people of color. So, um, yeah, it's it's. An, I'm glad that he went out of his way to make a, to get a diverse writer's room. Um, for this series, because again, the lead of this series is Regina King, a black woman. Um, and there are many characters of color in this series. And so it's important that you're reflecting that um, in your writer's room so that you can speak honestly about it and, and, and bring in perspectives that you wouldn't necessarily get from a less diverse writer's room. And so really quickly, I'm going to read from um, Wikipedia, the synopsis of the HBO um the HBO Watchmen series, not the comic book series. But so, um, so it's like, uh, so again, oh, let me just start from the top. So Lindelof likened the te television series to a remix of the DC limited series. And so it's while it's, it's a sequel taking place 35 years after the event of the DC limited series. So, uh, the Watchmen 
comic book series. It's 35 years, 34 years after all of the events that t- took place in that comic book series. The, the show picks up there. Um, but it, it has the same alternate reality. Even though it has the same alternate reality, Lindelof wanted to introduce new characters and conflicts to create a new story within the Watchmen continued continuity. Um, So rather than creating a reboot. And so this new story is uh, white supremacy, white white supremacy, white racists um, in the form of uh, Ku Klux Klan, which is the seventh cavalry. And I'll go into that in a second. Um, so, uh, so Lindelof wanted to introduce new characters and conflicts to create a new storyline within the Watchmen uh, continuity rather than creating a reboot. So the series focuses on events surrounding racial tensions in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1929. And so what you need to know is that the very first series of scenes in the first episode, they opened on the Tulsa massacre, which I believe happened in 1919. Um, I could be off base on, on the year, but the Tulsa massacre happened in 1919. And just, just a real quick side note. So what you need to know is that there was a period of American history where black folks were prospering, but they weren't able to prosper alongside white folks and they weren't able to prosper. There were not integrated communities that we live in today in, in for many, in, in many ways. So, um, when black folks prospered, what happened was they tended to prosper in their own communities because they were segregated or stopped or barred from uh, prospering in in and among white folks so there were across the country um, a number of black communities that had thriving businesses and social lives and 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 things like that and so there were whole towns and so um, you know the movie Rosewood talks about a riot that happened that decimated rosewood um these tulsa riots um of this tulsa massacre there are several other cities black predominantly black little small communities that were created because of segregation but that were thriving and at a certain point they began to thrive and haters basically um found a reason to tear them down for one reason or another and kill a bunch of the residents in the process and so the series the hbo series begins with the tulsa massacre and um we know that one of the survivors of the tulsa massacre shows up in the storyline and you'll learn that you'll learn what i'm talking about later when you begin to watch it but anyway so the series focuses on the events surrounding racial tension that uh, that happened in tulsa in in 2019 so so it opens with racial, racial, um, basically white folks massacring black folk um, in 1919, and then it opens with more tensions flaring. Um, excuse me, in 2019. And so what we know is that the big bad in this series is uh, the white supremacist group, the Seventh Cavalry, which has turned on the police over racial justice. Um, and the police can, and, and so in this reality, the police, because of something that happened a couple of years ago, um, two police officers, police officers are now obscuring their uh, uh, identity um, by wearing masks. And so, uh, uh, and allow uh, mass vigilantes to join the ranks. Um, and so Detective Angela Abar, which is Regina King, uh, played by Regina Cl- King, is a vigilante known as Sister Knight. And she investigates the murder of her of her friend and superior chief, and her superior chief judge uh, Craw- uh, Crawford, which is played by Don Johnson. Um, 
and comes to discover many more secrets regarding the situation around vigilantism. And so it's, it's kind of weird because especially in the climate that we're living in today, we have a distrust, especially among black folk, about police uh, units and, and police themselves. And for good reason, um, history has not been kind to the way that police officers have interacted with the black community. And now with the, at, you know, with the help of social media, we're able to see all the many different ways where interactions with police can go bad. And so it's just interesting that, you know, that we have a protagonist who's a black woman who's also a police officer, but as she's learning and trying to, you know, attack white supremacy and destroy, dismantle white supremacy, she's learning some truths about the police department and, and especially as it relates to vigilantism within the police department itself. Um, and as the episodes are going along, she's learning a little bit more. And she also learns a little bit more about Judd Crawford too. Um, and it, I've, I've only seen, there are three episodes, as, as I'm recording this, there are only three episodes that are out right now and I've only seen two. Um, and so far I'm intrigued, but I have some questions. Um, and I, I just want to know more. I want to know where they're going with this, because again, this is not something that was covered in the Watchmen series. So it's not like I can go look it up and see what the storyline is. This is something altogether different. Um, again, it's 34 years after the events that happened in the Watchmen series. So yeah, it's just, it, I, I'm curious to see where it's going. Again, I, I trust that the writer's room is diverse, so they're going to handle these situations differently. But I, I just want to know that the story is still going to maintain its center, that it's going to be good. Um, and the other thing that I want to mention in the series is that, um, in this series is that they're, be, so again, they're starting after the Watchmen series has ended, 34 years after those events have ended, but they're always nodding back to Watchmen itself. And so some of the characters that make an entrance yeah, some of the characters that that are nodded that the show makes reference to or we see are um, or at some point are Dr. Manhattan, Silk Spectre and Ozymandias. Um, and I and again, I don't know how they're going to make an appearance, but I definitely know that we talk about them or that the show has talked about them in kind of like a casual way. Like this is reality. Like this is the new world. The events of Watchmen um, really did happen. And that has colored our world. And so, yeah, so the series uh, premiered on the 20th. And like I said, there were three episodes in by the time I'm recording the show. Um, and I have got to see episode three. But so far, it's I find it intriguing, largely because I don't have a tie. I don't have a relationship with Watchmen, the series. I've, I've seen I have never read the comic books. I've seen the movie. I've got a outline of what happened in the comic book and I like I said I watched I don't know that I watched the entire movie I think I fell asleep or something stopped me from watching the entire movie but I got a good glimpse of the movie that came out I think it was like the 2000s or something like that anyway I don't know how that movie was received but what I do know is that people who have an affection for a particular piece of art like a comic book series also are protective of it. And so I know that there's a lot of backlash that the show has received a lot of criticism and backlash for the way it has talked about the storyline. Even uh, Lindelof saying that Alan Moore, who the series writer and creator for the, the comic book series, 
um, was not in favor of anyone rebooting or doing any sort of similar project to Watchmen because it, for his own creative reasons. But, um, you know, I listened to an, uh, a recording, I listened to an interview with Lindelof, the executive producer of the HBO Watchmen series, and he said, you know, I would argue that, and this was very businessy, this was a very business-like answer, but he said, I would argue that me telling this story and framing it as the big bad being white supremacy, which is what we're dealing with now, updating it for modern times, um, is very Alan Moore of me because he created the comic book without regard to how people felt about how he was going to talk about fascism and how he was going to talk about Nazism and 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 the the hysteria that the world kind of fell into in fighting those combating those things that kind of created some other issues and so the the way that the comic book talked about what was going on um in that world as it relates to the historical the the political climate of the time his argument is that i have every right to do this exact same thing because it's very that's exactly what alan moore would have done had he written watchmen probably what alan moore would have done had he written watchmen today um, so take that as you will take that however you see fit. I still feel like that's just him justifying wanting to do something and make some money in the process and, and make a stir. Um, and I don't know that that is his total motivation, but let's be clear that this show is paying. This show has high ratings. You've drawn in some high heavy hitter stars and Regina Davis and, and Jeremy Irons and, um, Yaha Abdul-Mateen. Everybody's talking about him now. Um, so yeah, I think they knew what they were doing in casting those folks. Um, and I also knew he was taking a risk that this bet would pay off. And I think it is going to pay off for him. I just, again, I go back to, I want to know where this story is going. I want to know how they're going to handle her coming to some of these revelations about uh, this police department that she has been serving, uh, Regina King's character. And I, I want to know more about why the sheriff... Uh, Judd Crawford, played by Don Johnson. I want to know why he was killed. Um, yep. And I, that's a bit of a spoiler, but it shouldn't ruin the entire show for you. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested because again, I'm, I'm, this is, it's, it's like it's bringing in historical truths, things that actually happened, but it's also talking about some fantastic things too. Um, so I'm eager to see where this thing goes. And I also think I might spend some time reading the comic book. I think I will do that. Um, just because at first, you know, the reason why I never read that comic book. And in truth, I'm an X-Men type of person. So I read the X-Men comic books, but I never got into anything like Watchmen only because it felt too negative to me. But at the same time, like I do enjoy satire. I do enjoy critique through fantasy about the state of the world. So maybe I would enjoy the Watchmen comic book series. But what I will say is that from what I've been reading and the comments that I've been seeing on social media, that fans of the comic book need to have an open mind when they come to this show. Um, because it's just different. It's just going to be different. Um, yeah, so hopefully you're watching it. Hopefully you're watching this show. Um, but if not whatever we talk about something some other time but yeah so um 
yeah, that's the show for today. Um, leave me a message. Use the show link to leave me a message. If you're watching the show, um, if you've read the comic book and what you think about both. Um, also, just a side note, leave me a message about what you think about Robin and what she's saying about Whitney. Um, and if you are going to read that, um, if you're going to read her, her book that's coming out. Um, also, just generally leave me a message about what you think about the show and anything like that or any show ideas that you might have, uh, future collaborations, because I'm open to it. And while you're there, um, you are welcome to go to my page and click the little donate button. You don't even have to log into anything. You can literally just, same as, same as, um, you can click to leave me a message without logging in. You could donate as well, um, without logging in. Even 99 cents will be a helpful contribution. But if donating isn't your thing, just share this episode or any one of the episodes um, that you think would be of interest to people in your life. Share that um, because in doing that, you're going to help me grow the range, grow the reach of this show. Um, yeah, still something, still a hobby for me, but it's a hobby that I enjoy doing. So definitely keep sharing this with folks so that I can reach more people. Um, yeah, so thank you. And, and also, if you feel the need please if you want to leave a rating please leave, leave a favorable one on all the places where you listen to the show so Castbox, pocket cast um radio public uh player fm spotify google podcast apple podcast any place that you listen to this uh show leave me a favorable rating please um yeah all right that is it for today thank you so much for listening until next time